0: So there was a kind of an opportunity to try and encourage people, I guess, to become storytellers, visual storytellers in their own right. At the same time, I would say that all the journalists back in 2009, 2010 were basically asking for iPhones. So it kind of was a hybrid. It was, well, you want them, if we're going to give them to you, we'd really love you to be able to use them so that if a story breaks for you, you'll be able to basically turn around content that we can use on any one of our platforms. So that's the top of the tier. The next one down is what Philip Bromwell does most days for his day job, which is he's a video journalist. Uh, Video journalists shoot on a much smaller camera, still relatively expensive. This gear is gonna cost you in the region of 15,000 euros. It does give you shoot and edit in the field capabilities, but nonetheless, we simply don't have the budget to be giving one of those to everyone in the audience, I'm afraid, contrary to what Ryan might like. Um, And then there's a very niche market within RT for what we would call HDSLR video journalists. They're quite specialized. The aesthetic is everything with the DSLR. Are there any uh, photographers in the audience today? Okay, so you know what I mean when I talk about the aesthetic. Uh, So the beauty of this stuff is the budget is really diverse. You can basically buy one of these kits for anywhere from like a thousand euros, but if you're really gonna go and throw the kitchen sink at it, you can spend 25,000 euros easily because you'll get prime lenses and all the extras that make it look really like cinema. Uh, So we would tend to use this for kind of special features on prime time and quite selective type stories. And then at the very, very bottom of the pecking order, I guess, is our mobile journalism project. And again, as I say, the whole idea of that was to basically empower the journalists, the storytellers. Not everyone opted in, which is fine. We didn't make it obligatory. It was very much up to people if they wanted to get involved. Uh, Not everyone got an iPad either before everyone claims, you know, or to just throw the gear at them. I know that's going to come. But obviously, everyone had a phone. So what I did is the early stages of the project is I identified a selection of equipment that would allow us to hit that kind of broadcast standard that I spoke about at the beginning. Um, because it's quite a high expectation, not only from our engineering perspective, but also from our audience's perspective. So the accessories, all on the right-hand side of the screen, if you like, um, that particular range of accessories is gonna cost you in the region of 800 to 1,000 euros. That's not including the phone. Now this is premium. these are These are top of the range broadcast quality equipment. That is not the only budget that you need to spend. You can spend anything from like 10 euros upwards to get the basics of a mojo kit. So I'm not advocating you should all run out and try and take a bank loan to try and get a mojo kit. Um, So that kind of gives you a little bit of context, I guess, of the kind of technical solution. Now, I also, when I spoke to Gerard about this, I kind of said, well, I'd like to work in a tiny little bit of kind of past, present, future, so to speak, because it's important that, I guess, you know exactly where we've come from and maybe have some insight into where we may be going. And I keep saying the word may, okay? I don't have a crystal ball, but I have some uh, instincts anyway. So the past of it is, lots of people think mobile journalism is a relatively new phenomenon. Mobile journalism is actually an extension of video journalism. And video journalism basically kicked off around 1996, 1997. This guy, Michael Rosenblum, pitched the idea to Time Warner to set up a TV station in New York where all the journalists would learn to operate a camera and go and shoot the content themselves. NY1 is still going to this day. So um, video journalism started to grow, RTE started to look into video journalism around 2000, 2001. BBC and lots of other broadcasters also adopted it as a part of, not a holistic solution, but as a part of how we do our news gathering. Um, Moving on from that, around 2007, um, in my previous role, I was experimenting with the first generation of phones that could shoot video. Pretty crappy video, but it was video nonetheless. Uh, at the same time flip camera came on the market did anyone ever experiment with the flip camera yeah a few people yes yeah, so you remember um, so 2007 was quite an interesting year it was kind of like the pivot year almost 10 years after video journalism started we also had the iphone launch um, and to be perfectly honest with you i was underwhelmed when i saw the spec of the iphone i actually had pinned my cap to the nokia family just as well i didn't have any money riding on it but uh, bottom line is you know history has kind of set the story and now, almost 10 years later, we're on to devices that can basically shoot and edit in 4K. Does anyone in the room know what I, what I mean when I say 4K? Mm-hmm. There's one or two hands coming. Kind yeah. of Sorry. Okay, so just to put it very simply, 4K is an image size which is four times higher or four times bigger than HD. So it's super high, high definition, if you want to call it that, or ultra high definition. Um, RT does not broadcast in 4K. In fact, to the best of my knowledge, no one in Europe broadcasts in 4K, yet. Uh, And nonetheless, we're at the point where basically both Android and iOS, uh, there are a number of devices that are capable of both shooting and editing and sharing your 4K content. Does anyone know where you can share 4K for people to view it and experience it? YouTube. YouTube supports 4K. Okay, so that's where we're at technology-wise. Now, (laughs) mobile, I think the best way to kind of put it in context is it's like having the ultimate pocket knife with you probably quite bulky in your pocket but the bottom line is is like a pen knife your phone is always with you statistically people in the states 43% said that they would prefer to give up sex than give up their actual mobile phone must be doing it <laughs> must be doing it wrong but there you go and um, but the bottom line is the reason I use the metaphor for this for the pe- pen knife is that every time you add a new app to your phone it's almost like adding on a new feature onto the knife. Do you know what I mean? So Whether it's uh, a photo editing piece of software, whether it's a new piece of video editing software, graphic software, it basically keeps adding tools and tools and that's the thing that's really nice about it. Now, I have to grab the thistle and ask how many people in the room are iOS or iPhone users. Hmm, Okay, and then Android users and Windows phone users. (laughs) (laughs) nobody. Just curious. Uh, So it's almost 50-50. Maybe maybe 55-45 in favor of Android. So let's just talk briefly about the Android iOS thing because I always get asked about it. Um, Way, way back when I started the project, uh, I was on the iPhone 4 and we were really on the first generation of Android devices at that stage. And basically the competition, heavily favored ios at that stage the main reason for that is that apple have a program called mfi or made for i something and as a result of that they have gotten in very very early with encouraging developers not only to do apps but also to build hardware and accessories for the ios range it's very very hard to compete with that for android because you may have all heard this word fragmentation there are 29,000 or something, I think, different Android devices in the market, there's about 18 different iOS devices. It's much easier to build accessories for 18 than it is to cater for 29,000 different models. Um, And that, just to put it in context, is one of the reasons that iOS still has the kind of head start on this. This is just a, a screen grab of a thing I did recently off which shows all the different audio accessories. Now, some of these will work with Android, but less than a third. So the vast majority of these are designed specifically to work with the iOS platform. And again, if you're trying to hit the bar up at the kind of broadcast level, as high as it can possibly go, there are devices up here, like, you know, ones like this and ones like that, that are top notch, fantastic audio quality. We use these for radio, we use these for TV all the time. And the other thing I would say to you is, you know, lots of people bemoan the fact that you can't Zoom with your smartphone, irrespective of the platform to some extent but actually there are companies out there who have come up with lens accessories that allow you to effectively optically zoom without losing quality in the actual final image. Most recently, these guys, uh, if anyone is into photography, the name Zeiss might ring a bell. So there are actually Zeiss lenses available for iPhone. Now they are actually doing a mount for a couple of Samsung devices as well, presumably ones that don't explode, but we'll just leave that aside. (laughs) Um, Sorry, sorry. Um, Okay, how many people in the room are Periscope users? Three, four, yeah, about five or six, okay, cool. And can I just ask as well then how many people are Facebook Live users? One and a half, no two, okay. Uh, the reason I ask is I suppose over the last two years we've seen this evolution in what you would call real-time news. It's not actually, strictly speaking, new. Uh, as far back as the iPhone 4, you had products like Bamboozer and Justin TV and other platforms that would allow you to live stream from your phone. But as you mentioned, the problem wasn't the actual app, the problem was the connectivity. So, I mean, you know, we've obviously migrated to 4G now. This sort of stuff is going to be very interesting as we move forward to 5G. So let's just talk briefly about 5G. So 5G, the next mobile phone network, is effectively due to roll out in this country in 2019, 2020. In fact, I'm pretty sure I retweeted an article this week <coughs> where the Minister of Communications specifically gave a commitment to having 5G live by 2019. Ambitious because that would make us the first in Europe. What does 5G mean for you as users? Well basically you know right now if you're trying to download a movie on your phone it's kind of hit and miss and it could take an hour and a half or it could take three and a half hours depending on contention and all that 5g is going to bring one gigabit per second speeds to your mobile device now if that's like gobbledygook to you let's just say it's a shitload faster than what you can get now on a good day okay (laughs) and basically a full feature film will take about five and a half seconds to download that'll give you some context What does 5G mean for us in relation to technology going forward? Well, from my perspective, um, though a lot of broadcasters aren't terribly excited about 4K, I am. And I think 5G will actually be the key to delivering 4K, both for consumers, so you can watch 4K content, but also for us as journalists, as people who are going to contribute extremely high-quality content. So, you know, we're only looking three, four years away, and this is going to become a reality for us. Obviously, it's going to prefer urban areas. If you're catching the shots that you get, you're still going to have the same problem uploading it up in Donegal, probably. <coughs> actually, <coughs> Excuse me. <no. coughs> so That's one trend to watch over the next couple of years. Another trend to watch is VR. How many people in the room have experienced VR? Oh, quite a good few, actually. That's good. Um, so, you, hopefully, you guys anyway know what I mean when I talk about the Oculus Rift. So Oculus basically is a headset allows you to experience a virtual world. And if any of you were at Web Summit before it headed off to Portugal, and you might know that actually, what's different about VR is that you can interact with objects when you're in this virtual space. So if there's any Trekkies in the audience, it's basically like going into the holodeck, okay? Um, (coughs) And the thing about Oculus is right now, and you can't order it, you're gonna spend 600 euros on the headset, but then you need a two and a half thousand euro, super powerful PC with a great graphics card in order to allow you to experience the content. How many people in the audience are going to ask for 3,000 euros worth of computer gear for Christmas so you can have the Oculus experience? Me neither. So the bottom line is is Oculus is absolutely at the very, very top of the VR experience. But oh, and they are owned by Facebook, in case you thought it was just a flash in the pan thing. Um, But we also have players like Google, who have recently announced that they're also going into the VR space in anger. And their headset, quite interestingly, uses their mobile phone as the way that you experience VR. And that is the way that I think mobile is going to be a pivotal part of VR going forward. Because even now, there are a number of different devices in the market that depend on you just slapping your mobile phone into the front of it and basically launching an app or even just going to YouTube to experience VR. It is in its infancy. Really, it's just blown up in the last 12 to 18 months. So if you've had a really, really shitty experience so far, I'd say give it a second try. Maybe try and try a slightly better viewer for a better experience. But don't dismiss VR just yet because, like I say, it's very much in the early days. And if you want to talk about accessibility, well, if you already have your mobile device and you want to experience this firsthand, Google Cardboard is about 10 or 15 euros. Again, you just put your phone in it, hold it up to your head, and you're in the space. So uh, it is quite accessible. Okay, we've, ex- oops, sound is muted. We've experimented with 360 Three, ourselves. So the Chances are you haven't seen the <coughs> thoroughfare through the lens of a camera <coughs> like this one. So this is the desktop view. On the desktop view, view you can just drag around to it. Capture all angles of a scene <coughs> so that you can view the entire surroundings. Any comments on the quality? You can use swear words if you want. Yeah, okay, fine, poor enough, fine. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to tell you, the way that we did this one as our first kind of experiment was with a very cheap consumer-grade camera, the Theta S, cost about 400 euros. Now. Google has a top-of-the-range VR camera system, which is about €16,000, and it'll give you much, much better quality than this. But I have to tell you, in my role as innovation, uh, the amount of consumer cameras coming on the market, which are very low-priced but getting better and better in quality, is really one to pay attention to. So I brought one just quickly to show you what I mean by that, because what I think is going to be really interesting for journalists is you are not going to go out as a journalist with a 16,000 euro multi-camera GoPro rig because shooting it is just one exercise in headaches, but editing it is a goddamn nightmare because you have to stitch all these cameras together before you can even start to put your story together. However, this 220 euro device plugs into my iPhone and allows my iPhone to shoot 360 degree video in 3K, not quite 4K, um, but I can edit that on the mobile phone and very soon I'm going to be able to do the whole finishing and upload straight to YouTube or Facebook in 360, all just on my mobile device. Now for me, as a mobile journalist, I suppose, (coughs) supporter or mentor, that's quite an exciting proposition. For 200 quid, you can basically get 360 content in the field. And wait for it, this device with a firmware update will let you live stream in 360 as well. So imagine a water protest. Imagine you're in the middle of the actual crowd and you can literally walk around in real time and experience it as it is, as though you were there in the middle. That will be possible with this very, very soon. Uh, So, you know, the technology is getting smaller and cheaper and also more uh, ambitious. Okay, so moving on very quickly. Other trends just to be mindful of all the mobile content, all, all the mobile service providers, Vodafone and everyone else as well, are excited about the Internet of Things. The Internet of Things just means that everything basically will have some level of intelligence and be able to talk to everything else. So the classic one I saw recently was Samsung have a new fridge where basically it scans the food as you're putting it in. When you come home in the evening, you tap the screen, it will tell you eight different recipes that you can use based on the ingredients that are in the fridge, and it'll talk you through cooking it as well. As soon as they can actually make it for you, I'll buy one. Uh, So that's Internet of Things. Uh, I know you may all laugh when I talk about self-driving cars but I'm just back from San Francisco and it's really weird to see Tesla cars driving up the street and the little Google Noddy cars driving up the street with no one at the steering wheel but it's becoming the norm over there realistically by 2024 we're going to see self-driving cars and a huge amount of electric vehicles from most of the big manufacturers hitting the streets what does that mean for us well right now when you're driving your car you depend on radio as your source of entertainment whether that is for an iPod or a CD or the radio. When you get to these guys, you'll have the chance to sit back and watch a movie or news or gather video content while you're literally in your car. So I think it will present opportunities for us as well. And the second last trend just to talk about is AI. Uh, So everyone, when you talk about AI, tends to think like this, but I'm thinking more along the lines of that. Um, IBM effectively have artificial intelligence software that can do real-time facial recognition and voice recognition on footage as it is actually being streamed. Think about what that will mean for archiving. Think about that, what that will mean for verification as we go forward. Um, and that technology exists now, but where is it going to go? Well, here's, here's one example. <coughs> Has anyone heard of this, this, this gang, Narrative Science? So Narrative Science, you heard You would, though, as the tech doctor, in fairness. So Narrative Science uh, are a company based in the States who make a product called Quill. Quill allows you to just upload a spreadsheet of data and it will write a script, and the Financial Times and Forbes are using it at the moment. So AI journalism, scary prospect. And and then the last thing I would say to you, okay, second last thing I would say to you is just be mindful of the transition to cloud computing as well. It's a big topic in RT, lots of people talking about it, talking about the risks of it, but I'll just give you the fundamental assessment of it from my perspective. So what cloud computing means is as we get this much, much faster connectivity to all our devices, we no longer necessarily need to buy hardware. Every company basically has either a five or a seven year capital investment cycle, Gear gets replaced roughly every five or seven years, and often it's millions at a time. What cloud computing brings is the possibility to stop replacing the gear every five years, to transition that over to an operational model, make it much more agile, much more scalable. We're not 100% that year, but there yet, but the speed of development is phenomenal. Uh, So that's coming extremely fast. And then the final thing I would say to you is, does anyone recognize this man? No, okay, so this guy, his name is Ray Kurzweil. And he is the head of the Google X Lab. He has about a $10 billion budget a year to spend on whatever he so desires. This guy has a track record of forecasting the future, which literally will scare square bricks out of you. And he, uh, his forecast, that's why the big 2029 is behind him, is that by 2029, based on the current evolution of Moore's Law and computer development, he believes that by 2029, a single computer device, as in your laptop or more than like your phone, will have the intelligence of a human being. OK, you're going to take that in for a second, give you a bit of context. So his forecast is effectively <coughs> that AI technology will be able to pass the Turin test, which is the one that sort of says no one can actually tell the difference anymore. And if you really, really want to scary your statistic, he predicts that by 2040, a single computer will have the same power as the entire human race. If you have a young child, and I have a four-year-old, that scares the little nut or shit out of me, okay? Um, but nonetheless, uh, these are guys that you kind of have to pay some attention to because they are, there is no question, influencers in the broader scale of what's to come. So, if I haven't already alerted, uh, alarmed you a little bit, I'll just bring it back down to earth a little bit and back into mobile journalism. So basically, for the last two years, uh, I've had my fingerprints all over a, a conference here in Dublin. Sorry about the gratuitous blunt, but it had to be said. Um, and basically, I'm in the process of trying to plan number three right now. Uh, so, MojoCon hopefully will be in May 2017. Okay, and then the last <laughs> thing I would say to you, I guess, uh, oh yeah, we'll skip the next slide. That's just some of the people who came. Ah, won't let me skip. The very last thing I want to. know I mean, more good joke? Uh, yeah. The very last thing I just want to say to you is the best thing to come out of MojoCon, aside from the fact that it's brought, you know, hundreds of media people from around the world to Dublin, I guess Web Summit can claim that too, except it's thousands is the Facebook group. So basically on Facebook, if you search for MojoCon, you'll get the page for the conference, mm-hmm. but don't get that confused with the group. The group is 1,500 members from all over the world. Some of them are extremely active in this space and share the latest apps, new accessories, the latest stories that are done, and it really is now my go-to place for knowledge about the evolution of mobile. So if you're interested in this stuff and you wanna tap into the network and the community, that's one of the places you'll find it. And just to give an example of how potent it is, only yesterday, We had a post from a company to say that they had just set up a brand new hyperlocal service in Paris, PABF and it will all be shot and produced on mobile phones. So the uh, revolution is live, is all I would say. So, on that bombshell, again, if anyone wants to fire questions or anything that we don't get to at the end of the session, by all means hit me up on Twitter, and I'll shut up now and introduce you to Aileen O'Mara. Aileen.